The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer a Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer a Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from RootMetric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. Some cars are comfy on the inside but don't have power on the outside. And some cars have the horsepower but none of the comfort. I used to think there weren't any cars that were the total package. But that all changed when I got my Honda SUV. It's rugged and sophisticated, and right now, Honda has deals on the entire Honda SUV lineup. CRV, HRV, Pilot, Passport, you name it. So if you're looking for a car that's the total package, the only place you'll find it is at your local Honda dealer. Hurry before they're all gone. All right, it is Film Study with Ken McCusick. To look back at the Week 14 loss 
39 to 38. Ravens lost to the Steelers, as we all know, as we all want to forget. But let's remember it for at least another 30, 40 minutes. Ken McCusick, how are you doing? Life's good, Josh. How about you? I'm doing all right. Um, I'm I'm set to uh, get ready for another week of uh, Ravens football. That hopefully, uh, hopefully this time, if we score 38 points, that's a victory. Yeah, let's hope on that against the Browns. Right. I mean, scoring 38 to to start, no matter who you're playing against, 38 points, you should be winning the game. There you go. It's like losing a baseball game, 12-11. You know, you, it just it hurts extra. You know, you you've you obviously went all out to win the game. You probably used a lot of the playbook, kind of like using your whole bullpen, and uh, to still lose that game was uh, disappointing at the least. Especially to have a, a two-possession lead in the fourth quarter. That is, it's like going into the ninth up by three runs. and it's That's crazy. true. And your closer's going to blow a game once in a while, like as you know, Josh, but I, I hope that the blame for Pease is severely reduced this week. And obviously we've got some things to discuss along that line, but I just want to say that the, the Ravens had only blown one lead of three points at any time during a game this year previously, and that was by Minnesota. And I saw some talk about this on Twitter today, and Twitter said, well, well, you know, none of the games were close, so we didn't have really any leads to protect in the fourth quarter. Well, they weren't close because the Ravens' defense stepped on the throat of the opposition and created a bunch of turnovers to make those games not close basically every other time. That's how Miami worked. That's how it worked at Cincinnati in Week 1. That's how it worked at Cleveland in Week 2. Uh, th- those aren't the only games. I mean, there have been right. five games this year that really were the defense stepping on the gas to, to, to win it. Green Bay would be another one. Detroit is another one. Uh, where, the, where the defense really stepped on the gas to win the game late. Yeah, this is the first um, This is the first game you can really say that the defense blew it. And we've got some positives to talk about. We've got to talk about focus on the offense. Um, but there is a lot of talk this week about the who to blame because of that one-point difference. Because you can look at, for one point, any little thing can, can change that game. So let's right. let's start with let's get the negative out of the way and let's look at let's look at who to blame and since this is the offensive podcast, uh, let's start on the offensive side. And and yeah. that really comes down to that end of the end of the game, right? Yeah, I mean the, the end of the game. Obviously, the Ravens had a chance to put that game away on the possession with just over two minutes remaining. I forget the exact amount of time, but they needed to have a. A first down on four downs or on three downs there. They threw an incomplete pass on first down. I didn't really have a problem with opening up with a pass there because I think you need to stay aggressive and stay trying to advance the football. They effectively ran the ball on second down, which I think was very necessary. They got seven yards with Collins off the right side. So now they're set up third and three. So you've got a couple different possibilities here. You can run the ball and try and get the first down either on one play or perhaps on two because in, in, in this is a fourth down situation where the defense has just been on the field for a long stretch both times that I think it would have been perfectly reasonable to go for it on fourth and one even with the risk associated. And we've come up with this last year, unfortunately a very similar situation in the Ravens-Steelers game where the Ravens did not completely get the clock run out. They gave the ball back to the Steelers with a minute and 18 left when Juszczyk scored. And they could have taken more time off the clock by being being ready in the huddle with a play that would have had nobody scoring on the play. But just break through, get the first down, get right. as far as you can, but don't score. Right, that Christmas Christmas Day last year. 
Uh, it was Christmas Day last year. So anyway, this third, fourth down situation was a little bit similar to the Belichick situation a few years ago when he went on fourth and two against the Colts from his own 29. And so this was third and three and then fourth and three at the 32-yard line. And it would have been very similar in terms of the, of the total distance involved and probably the chance of getting the first down as well. The right. nice thing about not getting the first down in that situation, if you fail, obviously it's not good to give the ball back to the Steelers, but if you did, you give it back to them with the ball in three-down territory instead of four-down territory. And that can get, have great opportunity for you to, to conserve clock if you do that. So you force them to either make a first down in three downs or kick a field goal because you can't risk you know, losing your scoring opportunity. Whereas sure. if they get the ball at their own 30, they have to play four-down football until they get in the first in, in field goal range. Gotcha. Um all right, so it's clear that you are not happy with the way Marty Mornaway called the game near the end there. Um, is it Marty that I should be upset with on the offensive side, or should I be upset that Macklin did not get his feet down? Is that well, a play that he should have known where that sideline was? I think always the, the, the receiver should know where the sideline was, and that's a little disappointing that he wasn't in the game enough to, to have that figured out. Um, I don't recall how much physicality there really was on the sideline. It kind of looked like he just got his heel out of bounds, and he and he really wasn't very aware. Yeah, he just he uh, stepped out when turning or something. It looked like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean it's it's disappointing. I thought he he had an alligator arms play earlier in the game that I didn't like that much. So there's been some things from Macklin this year that that you know don't make me terrifically happy with him I you know you hear things around the about him in the clubhouse I hear he's a little bit different as a as a player he's not necessarily um, you know the the, the center of I teammate mean, attention whatever you want to call it he's a, he's a wide receiver we if there's one thing there we know go. wide receivers are different guys they uh they like very rarely attention. they're very rarely team leaders your wide receiver is yes. very very rarely a team leader uh, you know they they want the football. There's other people competing with them for the, for the football, and they uh, and they tend to be egomaniacs. Yeah, and you got to uh, remember that before they were on this football team, they were the star. Before they got to the mm-hmm. NFL, they were the man. They were the true. guy. And uh, no matter how much struggling they're doing in the NFL, it's not going to change that process of of their entire life. They've been the guy. That's right. But I think more than Macklin, I think my understanding is. When the offensive line got back to the sideline, they were furious at Morningweg for not allowing them to create the first down to win the game. Now, they, okay, so they were upset at the play calling as the offensive line that it, it mm-hmm. kind of showed that they didn't trust him to. They didn't trust that line. Um, how much freedom does Flacco have in that? If they get in the huddle and that offensive line fights and says, hey, just let us let us do it. We can do this. Does Flacco have the freedom to call an audible and do that? Yeah, I mean, I, I would I think he certainly would have the ability to check. And, and you, most times the, the quarterback at least has a run-pass check to change to because that's the standard thing you do. Maybe there might be some times in the game where you might have two passes where you're checking from on third and eight or something. But it, it, on a on – a, you know, a, a typical second and ten. Uh, you know, a third and three. Even you might have two different. You have, might have a run and a pass. You can check to certainly a third and one. You have a run and a pass. You would check to. Right. Of course. Of course. It's. It's. I'm asking Flacco to call out of it when Flacco has the same thought of the offensive line as I can get the ball where it needs to go. I can do this. 
Yeah, he, he did. And, uh, you know, that was one of the things Joe did really well in the Super Bowl. The third and one to Bolden, which and lengthened the Ravens' field goal drive that put them back up by four or five. I think it was five. Uh, he actually checked into that call. He audibled out of a run call on third and one, threw the ball up for Bolden on the right sideline. He caught it. And uh, that uh, got him the drive that went up 34 to 29. And then they held off at the five-yard line with a five-point lead, gave up the safety to make it 34-31, which is where we ended. So, um, you know, he's done some good things in his career, you know, in regard to making good choices as far as that goes. But, uh, but the, the offensive line, as I hear it, were, were very upset about not getting, not being allowed to block for the first down on that drive when they had done a pretty damn good job blocking for Collins in that right, game. Right, right. When Collins was having a great game, probably his. Uh, we'll get to him, but I. It seemed to me like his best game of the season, and the line was doing a good job. It did seem like some strange play calling there at the end. Um, but this week, so you say the offensive line was furious at Marty. It seems like at least everyone who's calling into the radio stations is upset with Dean Pease. And I want to first start with this audio from, because, of course, they had to ask him in the press conference about uh, covered, covering Antonio Brown. Based a call based on down and distance, what their personnel is in the game, and what their tendencies are in those situations. Okay? So on the very first third and four, we called one double. Now, who would you think we're trying to double? 84. Okay, and on that third and four, they ran a driver out for a first down because that was the guy that was open. Okay, so in the last play, the last third down, what was the down distance? Third down and four. So I tried to call a coverage that's a little tighter coverage to try to get them to fourth and four to try to end the game. Okay, so you can be criticized for being too uh, soft. If I would have played zone and he completed one underneath for four yards, why wouldn't we try to get up there and get him? Or you can be criticized for being too aggressive and trying to play man and trying to get up there and get him. And the truth is, we got beat on release. We tried to get up there. We tried to be aggressive. I tried to change the call from the first third down four that I ran. It was also based on study over the entire week that this is what they do. And generally on third and four, they aren't throwing a nine route down the sideline. But he did. And so he did. And that's where my call came from. So, you know, hey, it's, I've been used to that for a long time. If it works, you're great. If it doesn't, you should have done this. So, so Dean Pease is very defensive there at the podium. Um, what was your assessment of Dean Pease in this week and this season? Well, let's let's start with the with that interview yeah. right yeah. there. I thought he did a very good job of explaining the call and why. And I I don't really take his his actions as being particularly defensive or his, or his speech. Okay. His well, then speech he just came prepared to say, this is why I thought this way. Right. Right. I, th- I think he's been fairly self-effacing about what happened this week. I Again, I don't really uh, blame it on him. The Steelers did a marvelous job of protecting the football in this game. The Ravens had three opportunities for turnovers, one on Levine's uh, PD, one on the ball that was almost intercepted by Suggs, another on the ball almost intercepted by Humphrey. They convert any of those three, like any one of other 30 plays in this game, the result has changed in terms of the, the outcome. Sure. Right. But, but in 60-whatever passes it was, I think it might have been 67 dropbacks, um, there's no excuse for the Ravens not getting any interceptions. And there's also, it's not repeatable. So if the Ravens go back to Pittsburgh, first of all, I wouldn't expect him to throw 67 times again. But if he throws a lot again, 
because of the success they had, I expect the Ravens to pick him off. And I expect the Ravens to sack him a couple times and maybe get the football loose from Ben once. I mean, it just this is the kind of thing that it's a once in a very few, one in very many times that you'll get this much risk taken on offense and not have something go wrong. And the Steelers got it done. You give them the credit, I think, in this case, more than you give the Ravens the blame. Right. And, you gotta. People like to forget about the fact that as much as we game planned against the Steelers, they also game planned against the Ravens. That's and right. There's, a, there's it, a lot of trying to outcoach and outthink the other sideline. There sure is, and and they've got a quarterback who is adept at taking advantage of what the defense gives him. He's a good hot read quarterback. You know, because of his height, he has good sight lines always in, in terms of where he can get rid of the ball. And there's just a lot of positive things about Ben Roethlisberger that make him able to take advantage of the Ravens' defense. So it, it is what it is. I, You know, Pease has had such a, a good season. The defense has had such a good season. He's adapted to the dime defense finally. And, you know, we've talked about that a number of times, so we won't do that again. But, right. uh, you know, a very positive change from this year. He made changes from the first half to the second half in terms of getting the right uh, pressure in the game. They had much more pressure in the second half. And he made a change in this case that didn't work out. And I guess the other one we really want to make sure we hit on, even though we're on the offensive side here, let's talk about this really quickly, is that he also came out this week and he talked about how he should have put Marlon Humphrey on Brown. Right. Well, here's the thing. Antonio Brown was lined up on the right side to take advantage of Carr. So they could switch sides. But I think what, he, what Pease is really saying is that he needed to take Carr out of the outside corner position because of all the speed they have and put Kennedy there. I think that's really what we're hearing. And it wouldn't even surprise me that we'll see that change coming this week with Hill going to the slot. Um, The Browns are another team with a ton of speed on the outside, most notably Josh Gordon, but they also have Coleman on the outside. And and those are two guys that you want to make sure you have somebody covering uh, that that, that can do the job. So I think that Kennedy and... and, um, uh, Humphrey, maybe the two to get the outside starts or most of the outside snaps at least this week. And, right. uh, I, uh, gotcha. Yeah, because to say it's easy to say Humphrey should have covered Brown because Humphrey had a good night, but you you didn't do that because you did not want a rookie on one of the best wide receivers in football. And uh, Humphrey had a good great night because he didn't have to cover Brown. Right, well, he, had, he did have a great night, and he had a great night covering the number two receiver, and most of the time he was on his own, but he, he did have, in cover two situations, Weddle is on his side of the field. Okay. So the, the other thing that, that he could have done was to switch Weddle, Weddle and Jefferson's sides so that Weddle is shaded towards Brown's side every time he right, plays. And that's a, it's a, yeah, it's another way to play a, kind of a specific double coverage that gets your best safety on the on the back end against the most dangerous receiver, and I kind of like that better. Gotcha. Um, well, it'll be interesting to see not only how they address it over the next couple of weeks, but if they do get into the playoffs and we get to face them again, how they handle Brown. Yeah. Um, yeah, and hopefully that'll come up. Right. All right. So there, there's the blame. We played the blame game. Uh, offensive line blames Marty. Callers blame Pease. Uh, we're not ready to blame Pease because this is the the what first big lead he gave up besides a three-point lead yeah that's right so we talked about that a little right. earlier but but so, he blew one three-point lead all year right. before so this just to wrap it up we're, we're not blaming him now we can get down to the offense side of the ball and we can look at this offensive line who as you said earlier had a good game and was pushing uh morty wake to let them finish out the game so let's start with uh stanley okay so the, the steelers still have a pretty good pass rush they use a lot of deception still with their own rush 
in terms of blitzes coming in and out and, and using those inside linebackers who have some coverage weaknesses, frankly. And, and Collinsworth did not completely beat on it during the game, but he mentioned it a few key times how the inside linebackers were not able to, to get to the outside to deal with Collins, and they were having a lot of trouble in coverage as well. But they can be sent on the blitz, and they did some of that, and they uh, caused trouble for the line in that way, and I thought the Ravens did a pretty good job of picking up. Stanley was left on the left side. A lot of it against T.J. Watt did well for most of the game, and uh, he continues to play well even though he's had an injury that he's obviously still struggling through. Anyway, got a B in this game from me. And uh, solid overall game. And like much of the rest of the line, they had some problems on the very last drive or the last two drives in terms of things not going right. And unfortunately, I don't have my papers in front of me here. Right. But, uh, but they did have some problems on those last two drives. All right. Uh, how about James Hurst? Um, he's been, again, successful with the pool. Yeah, I mean, that's 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 the thing that stands out of his game is that the Ravens are really using him for their power run game, which means they're, they're pulling him from the left side, getting him somewhere over on the right side to declog the backfield, and on uh, that's on a, when it's when it starts to break down, or to get into level two and make a block. And between the combination of him and Patrick Ricard, who's playing very well, you know, they have a great power running game right now, and it's really helping... Uh, to get Collins in some better spaces. I think one of the things that Collins could do better in the future is follow blocks better, but he seems to immediately seek out open space, and it's not something that has has really failed him yet. He's, when he goes to the outside, he typically is able to break the first contact and get more yards, and, and he had a great game after contact, which we'll get to in, in this game, but if he, pull, if, he, if he took more time, if he was Le'Veon Bell in right. terms of being very patient and sitting behind the blocks and then taking his spot, he might be even more effective. So uh, we'll see next year how, how they work with Collins and how they try and develop him as a back to do even more. Yeah, because, again, they weren't even prepared this season to have Collins, let alone him be their, their lead rusher. Yeah. Um, all right, uh, let's see. Next down the list would be Jensen, who I think I ask every week to you, is Jensen Hurt? Yeah, and, and he's still got some sort of problem with his elbow. He's wearing a brace on his left elbow. Uh, we never did completely hear what that was, but, uh, but you know, I've got my suspicions anyway. So uh, he's still playing well despite it. It doesn't seem like uh, he, it's restricting his movement by too much. And uh, he had another good game uh, here. Uh, he's not did not get to level two as much, and that's typical when you play a three-four defense. That the center is going to make fewer plays in level two because there's a guy directly over top of him who's responsible for kind of holding him there and deciding on which side he's going to move uh, to maintain two gaps. So when you when you face a when you face a three-four, typically the center makes fewer level two blocks. That's what happened in this game. But uh, he's still playing well. He's not allowing the pulls to get obstructed, which is, is you know one of his really big duties. The shotgun snaps that had been a problem have been okay the last few weeks. So anyway, positive on Jensen. This was a solid game. It wasn't his top game, but it, but it was a, another solid game for his resume. All right. Is Skura continue to grow? You know, I, 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 there's some things I really like about Skura, and there are some times when he's getting beat in pass protection, and he's he's kind of got an awkward style. But what happens is... He usually is able to engage with the block, is able to hold his block for a fair amount of time, particularly in the run game. In the pass game, he gets kind of awkward with his leverage and his feet and gets beat to the wrong side more often than you'd probably like. 
Um, he did give up a quarterback hit, another one and a half pressures in this game, but he didn't miss any blocks. So, you know, that combination of things is good. Now, generally speaking, pass blocking is more important than run blocking, so the penalties are more strict for the for the pass blocking errors, but still a very solid game. He got a B. What they've gotten out of Skura this year is just far more than they could have really expected out of him. And one of my big beefs with the scoring PFF has, as opposed to mine, is that it's not really uh, taking into account how consistently Skura is on his man when he needs to be, as opposed to when he's making a plus block by moving somebody out of the way. And that's that's it's a undervalued component of offensive line play is how often can they just hold their block. So it may be sometimes as simple as, as Jensen's moving to level two, pins the guy for Skura, so it doesn't really appear that Skura does anything particularly great, but he holds his man, and Jensen gets right. to go and make a level two combination block, and, and that sets up the play. But Skura is an important part of that. So anyway, I'm, I'm positive on what he's done this year, and, uh, and I think he definitely has a position probably as a backup on next year's team. All right. Uh, Austin Howard did not have a good night. Now, tough night for Austin, and, and he really broke down on the last two drives. All kinds of bad things happening, culminating with the sack on the final play of the game when, the, when uh, Joe and the, the rest of the Ravens, for that matter, weren't aware that the clock was going to start running again. And uh, that was that. But, uh, but he, had a tough, uh, he had a tough game. He had negative 11 points on the last, I think it was seven plays. So that was uh, that was quite bad, and uh, uh, got a D for the night from me. I see. Um, all right, let's get away from the line now, and let's go further back with uh, Collins. We talked about how he had a good night. Right, so Collins had 120 yards on the night, and, and that alone is excellent. That's just his rushing total. I, I, I forget exactly what he had as a receiver, but it wasn't nothing or anything. We'll just take a quick look here. Boom. Doing this to myself here. Okay, so week it 14. Tw- it was like 20 something, right? That's as a, it? As a, uh, on receiving? As a receiver. Let's, well, let's take yeah. a look at six just a second. We don't I have sponsors. Could. We can do right. that for the dealers. Right, I could just be making Four, 46 number. yards. 46 two, yards. Two, yeah, I cut them short. Two, two targets, two receptions, 23 yards each. Long of 30, sorry, long of 37 for 23 yards on average. Uh, so, anyway, a terrific game from Collins from, from a total yards perspective because he had 120 on the ground. Per PFF, 95 of his 120 yards on the gra- came on the ground on 18 carries, which works out to 5.3 yards per carry after contact. Yeah, that, that's okay. impressive. So, so yeah, I mean, he, he was breaking tackles all over the field. I, I, I forget the exact total that they had him for in broken tackles, but it was an eye-popping number. It might have been 8, might even been 10 in this game this last week. And it seemed like he had about three on one play where he ran all the way up the sideline right, and ran right, a good distance just up the sideline. Pull his foot out, pull, pull yeah. his foot right out of tackles. It was impressive. Yeah, he does a good job. That's that's leaving a leg. That's the old Jim Brown thing. If you're an older football fan, you yeah. you remember Jim Brown. I don't, but but I know that people talk about Jim Brown leaving a leg, and right. and that's always good. All right, um, Joe Flacco. He, oh, I, I did want to mention one other thing. One other thing about Collins that I, that I just thought was so significant because he has duties as a pass blocker. And in order to be there as one of the key players on third down or on any passing down for that matter, was to be able to make a good pass block. Well, on Ricard's touchdown catch, he made an outstanding shot to the knees cut block that took a player down. I think it might have been Davis on the outside. But what that does is that gets that player from getting his hands up in the air and potentially 
knocking down or even intercepting, which would be really horrible, the, the, the ball in flight. So it, got a, it had no obstructions getting out to Ricard, and Ricard, of course, was not going to be stopped going into the end zone. And uh, that play, immediately after it, the camera shot back to Flacco, and Flacco is sitting there pulling up Collins off the ground and congratulating him by patting on the helmet. And I thought just, that was just a, it had to be a really big moment for Collins because it was a, yeah, it was, I'm sure it was a big moment for Ricard. He was in the end zone, but, but for Collins, it was a great block. Yeah, um, you know what? Let's we'll get to Flacco in a minute. Let's since we're talking about that, let's talk about Ricard because he had a big night in the fullback position. Yeah, he sure did. And and boys, what he's providing is really one of the cornerstones of the offense. I mean, to have a power running game, you really need two guys who can block, and you can do it with a tight end who can move. You can do it with a tight end who can block on the same side. You can do it. You need to have a guard who can pull, and then you you also can have a fullback. So you can, it's fullback or tight end plus pulling guard. That, that's the combination to have a great power running game. Well, Ravens right now have one of each of the three. They have you know they have Boyle and Williams, both who can block a little bit, and they have Ricard, who is one of the best, probably the best blocking fullback in the entire game. Well, there's, and then there's they not have, many fullbacks left in the game, many, but, but no, yes. It's the best of five or seven. Right. Oh, I tell you right. And then there's uh, and then they have Hurst, who's having a great year as a as a puller as well. So between that three, the Ravens have a legitimate power running game, and it is the strength of the offense. Uh, we, we mentioned, of course, Collins doesn't always run to that opening, but Ricard is really new his job. Had some fantastic blocks in this game. I, I had four of them uh, picked out, and I, I would normally have my article up on the website. We had some illness here in the family, and we're we're working through that here uh, to get everybody healthy. But the uh, no article this week, but there are scores out on the website if you want to see those. All right, all right. Now we can talk about Flacco and. That Flacco each week for what is this three weeks in a row now where Flacco continues to have decent games even it, with it feels the wide that receivers way. he has. Yeah, it feels that way. It's only been two. So uh, it's yeah. only been two, really. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's Detroit in this game. I think that's it. That's those are the two in a row, right? Yeah. So uh, anyway, had a good game uh, certainly this time. Uh, impressive in terms of still throwing mid- medium range passes. Got good zip on the ball. Uh, he had other good times where he got lots of run after the catch from running backs, uh, once from, from uh, or a couple times from Collins, and once from uh, Buck Allen as well. Right. So he, what, what I'm, what's missing from the passing game right now is that they don't really have a tight end involved in the offense in the way you'd like to. So Watson was the team's leading receiver for a while, but it's now been a couple of weeks and he's done nothing. So they need to figure out some way to get the combination of Watson, Boyle, and Williams back as part of the passing offense. And I think what I'm seeing more and more is that they'll have one or two tight ends, often two in the game with one back, and they'll be in a formation where they have two offset tight ends, one on each side, that are actually helping to chip on the outside. So they're spending more of their effort on that, sometimes chipping, sometimes even staying in and set blocking, and and not doing as much receiving with those players. And if they whether it's by trickle-out pattern or whether it's by uh, actually you know, taking one of those situations and just choosing to run right down the seam with one of those players, it'd be nice if they would do more of that and take more shots at the tight end to try and, uh, try and make some yardage. And if I recall correctly, the one pass that they took on first down was a shot to the tight end that didn't work out, but, uh, but there are a few of them in this game. Right. Um, and those passes that didn't work out, a lot of them seemed to be with Macklin. And you talked a little bit of Macklin, but he seemed not engaged on Sunday. Yeah, that's that's a fair way to put it. So, you know, obviously we talked a little bit about the sideline thing, and that's a focus thing. You know, you'd really hope he was he was more into the game and more realizing exactly where he was on the field. 
you know, just the Ravens have a a problem in general with players not finishing routes. Well, what do I mean by that? Look at the Steelers because they're the perfect example. They know because Roethlisberger will often extend a play to four or five or even six seconds that they have to continue to run their route even after it would normally be done. So they would have maybe a three and a half second route they're running even on some of the longer ones because that's about all it takes in the right. NFL to run a route. But but if the if the ball has not come out yet, they know they have to automatically be curling back and, and trying right. to help the Don't quarterback and stop. Don't just stop. And and I just I have not seen too much of that from Macklin this year. They they've, they've gotten Macklin on on a touchdown pass down the right sideline on a nine route that was a beautiful uh, spiral from Flacco on a vertical. They got him on another time when they had that beautiful rub route off Watson in Week One against Cincinnati, but. Macklin has not done too much to create a play after any difficulty in the pocket this year. And that's been kind of frustrating. The one time I can remember doing was one where Flacco was kind of being tripped up as they threw a little ball to the right sideline and Macklin caught it. Not the kind of big play I'm talking about. So, uh, you know, with, with Roethlisberger, if that play had gone on for so long, he'd have found somebody 25 yards down the field over the middle because his guys are all trying to get open at right. that point. Sure. So, anyway, that, my frustration. Right. Um. I guess one person who was catching the ball and defending the ball and doing everything he could do on that offensive side was Mike Wallace. Yeah, boy, Wallace, a couple couple of really good defensive plays there as well, and Collinsworth did a good job of pointing that out. But the, the one play in the end zone, I, I was sure that was going to be intercepted, and he stripped, right, he he stripped it right over. away from Burns. Yeah. And, and then the other one where there was a penalty anyway, but then he also stripped the ball free of the safety. I have no idea how he got that done. But he did, and that uh, and that was impressive. And he also drew the flag on that play. So, yeah, you know, a lot of times Wallace has taken heat over his entire career over being a non-engaged, you know, non-caring kind of a prima donna receiver. And he's the guy who has been the heart and soul of that receiving core in terms of of being there the most plays and being the most engaged with the uh, with what's going on offensively. Right. Um... It's it's tough to think that well we score the offense put up thirty eight points what else do we expect the offense to do but what are some little things the offense can do to improve especially when they're having these struggles with the wide receivers right so so we could put, talk about bringing the tight end back into the game and I guess we we've kind of covered that earlier whether however they're going to do that whether it means a little more seam route route running and whatnot they're they're at a good point actually in terms of two things one is. Doing more to protect Flacco is probably a good thing. Flacco seems a lot more confident in the pocket, and he's able to take more snaps from under center. And when he takes snaps from under center, it really brings the Ravens' play-action game back in because you have, first of all, a fullback who can really do damage in Ricard, so the linebackers have to really respect that. And then it gives you the option to hit the tight end off play-action or, or to even take a deep shot off play-action from time to time, and, and that's, a, that's a big asset. But in order to do that, they have to be willing to commit more people to block uh, and be held back among the eligible receivers to block. Ravens did that all the time in 2008. They helped Flacco grow up as a quarterback with exactly that. And play action was Flacco's thing for his first few years and also the, the ability to hit that sideline route, which is the other thing they brought back into the game. You know, he hit, He's hit more on a couple sideline routes. He's hit Wallace on at least one. Um, he might hit Macklin on one in this game as well. Uh, where it's just an eight-yard curl kind of by the sideline. And th- those kind of plays are bread and butter for the offense. If you can throw that fastball to the outside like Flacco can, it's a big asset. Sure. Um, all right, let's get to the offensive MVPs. 
but I did not come up with my three. Um, that I would give them all to linemen because the line held really well this week. So I'm going to give you a chance to make it your three MVPs for this week. All right. Well, I appreciate that, Josh. Thanks. Um, we'll, we'll, number three goes to Wallace. Fine game. Defense a couple balls. Also caught some balls. Um, he's uh, the game. Let's see. How many catches did Wallace have in this game? Wallace had three catches for 72, averaged 24 yards per catch on the five plays. But the other two plays were one of them he knocked down and, and stopped an interception. Then he also drew a big pass interference call. So really nice game for him, and I think he probably deserves it. Ricard, we talked about a lot, four really key blocks in this game, all of which were in the middle of big run plays. So those those were nice, uh, big value-added plays for Ricard, plus the touchdown uh, catch. And that's a, that's a play, once you get him out there, I don't think there are too many secondary players, I'll say. Linebackers can do it, but not too many players in the secondary who are going to be able to get him to the ground easily. Right. They'll go for his legs. They might might get it done, but most of the time they're not going to. And then number one for me is Collins. Uh, another terrific game. Uh, I could have I had Flacco on this list, certainly, but Collins just uh, was, was so great after contact, and so many of the total Ravens yards for the entire game came after contact on him that uh, he certainly deserves a number one. Of course, yeah. No, that was an impressive game for Collins that not only Raven fans were noticing, but uh, the the NBC, uh, yeah, Sunday night NBC crew was also taking notice, even with uh, them not being a fan favorite of Baltimore fans. <laughs> yeah, they sure did. It's it's uh, it's kind of funny. Collinsworth and his and PFF now who he owns. I, a lot of people don't know that, but Collinsworth bought Pro Football that. Focus. Yes, I don't know what the price tag on it was, but I always wanted to ask Neil about that in terms of what he got on it. But um, it, but Collinsworth uh, uh, bought it and he moved the group from the UK to Cincinnati. So they had all these visa issues getting people into the United States and all that was part of the thing. But they uh, they did so they set up in Cincinnati now. So I've always been you know I was I've been out there on business. I've been thinking about visiting the offices there and see what's what's going on, but. But it's, it is funny that Collinsworth is now owns PFF, which is providing NBC with a lot of these stats as well as some of the other right. networks. Well, that, that's, and, that's why Collinsworth said, oh, that's a worthy investment. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right, mailbag time. This is where you go on the Twitter and send in your questions using the hashtag film study mailbag. And uh, Ken will answer the questions, and I'll just read them because Ken's the brains of this operation. So first one up is from Dustin Cox. Do you think the offense actually turned the corner? They had two high-scoring games in a row and have been playing better since the bye in general, it seems. At least less turnovers for Flacco. Uh, Flacco seems to be uh, so much more confident and comfortable in the pocket lately. Yeah, I, I mean, I think we covered some of this, but yes, I agree with that. And the Ravens are ninth in the league now in scoring offense. And if you go back to, I think it's the Miami game, they've averaged 31 points a game, which is the second most in the NFL. Might be the Eagles are the only team that's ahead of them. So uh, anyway, very impressive run here. And uh, and yeah, I, I'd say the offense probably has turned the corner. All right. Uh, the other day, the episode before this one, we did a playoff special. And uh, the response from Edgar Catano is, if the Ravens can't beat the Browns, the Colts, uh, and the Bengals, do we deserve to be in the playoffs? You know, I feel like evoking a little Gandalf here when, when uh, uh, I forget who it was, Frodo, I guess, asked him, shouldn't we kill Gollum or doesn't Gollum deserve to die? And, you know, you know, 
who deserves to be in the playoffs? Whoever gets there deserves to be in. They did the things they needed to do to get in. So, yes, this is a, a dirty playoff appearance for the Ravens in terms of they haven't they haven't w- cleanly won out through this season. They haven't probably used all the gifts they have as well as they could have uh, to, to maximize them this season. But they have done some things very well, played defense. They got a lot out of their offensive line, and those two things are going to probably be enough to get them into the playoffs at this point. And uh, they got to really hope that they don't lose their focus on the Cleveland game. It's a, it's a big game. It's not as big as the Colts and Bengals games, which have huge uh, common opponent components to them, particularly against Buffalo. But the Cleveland game is important, too, because they might need to win three games to get in. So uh, one of the things to look forward to here is t- tomorrow night, don't miss the game, because tomorrow night the Chiefs and Chargers play one of the most important games for the Ravens of the entire year. Ravens really need the Chiefs to win the West. So a win by the, Char- by the Chiefs in this game eliminates any AFC West team from beating them in a tiebreaker. So it's a very big deal. I didn't even realize it was that time of the year for Saturday games. Yeah. Um, and if you want to feel better about the NFL playoff system, just go look at the college bowl games coming up. When you have 41 bowls, it means you need 82 teams, and there's a whole lot of six and six teams in that in there. Yeah, that's a real good point. So, uh, next question comes from Dan Boss. Uh, how does Alex Lewis fit into Greg Roman's run game system? Should retaining James Hurst be a priority in free agency? It seems like he's held up well. Yeah, we can. I mean, we've talked about that a couple times over the last couple of weeks, but let's let's talk about it a little bit more. I think it's likely that James Hurst would be the best available left guard. For the Ravens next year. Certainly the best one who's on the team right now. So they have Yonda presumably coming back to right guard. They'll have another guard spot open. They could give it to Skura. They could give it to Siragusa. They could give it back to Alex Lewis. Or they could give it to Hurst if they re-sign him. Hurst is also by far the most expensive option of those. And the Ravens are going to have to figure out how do we save money in several places so that they can go make other moves they need to. And for that reason, I think they're only going to be able to retain one of Jensen or Hurst, and Jensen is by far the player that would be more difficult to replace, given that he plays center and he's a big guy who can play center. Right. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Let's let's close out the mailbag with Minion Hunter, who, as we said, there's lots of little things you can look at in the game that uh, cost the Ravens the game, and he wants to point out another one of them with how big of an effect was that missed safety on the kickoff. Yeah, that was unfortunate. Obviously, there was a two-point turnaround and the ball. It would have been a big deal at that point in the game, and uh, and you know would have been better field right. position. I believe they held them on that on that drive anyway Either and pushed way, them to punt. You take all that away, it's two points, and you lost yes, by one point. Points. So yes, yeah. of course, it uh, it cost them the game, like every go. other little minor thing throughout the game. <laughs> every other first down that wasn't me. Right. I mean, it's almost that silly. Yep. So yeah, it, it was a it was a you know. You could look at this as a 39-38 loss to the Steelers. What it basically tells me is they played on the same field with the Steelers with not a whole lot of differentiation between these two teams. And yes, the Steelers made some plays when it really counted and won the game, but I don't feel at all like this is any kind of a black shroud hovering over a January trip to Pittsburgh. Yeah, and that, that's the good thing is... is there, there's not a whole lot of negatives. The defense will, will find their way, and it's nothing that we should be – If they, we did show we can keep up with the Steelers. Mm-hmm. All right, Ken, what is going on over at Russell Street Report? 
Oh, okay. So I've got stuff up on Russell Street Report. Uh, we did three podcasts this week, so if you didn't go for the tiebreaker or the defensive podcast, take a look at those. Uh, the defensive article is up, has a lot of detail on the pass rush. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter, at Film Study Ravens. Got great debate during the game going on. If you really want to get your football question answered by a whole lot of really ravenous fans, drop in your question or your comment with an at Film Study Ravens attached to it, and there'll be like 30 people who will see it right away and be jumping on it like I don't know what. But they're very good about responding and very good football fans. So, Josh, tell, tell them how they can get to your stuff both on Twitter and your show. Uh, you can check out Section 336 or see me on Twitter at Josh Soroka. Uh, at Section 336 this week, we discussed uh, the Orioles perhaps losing Manny, as well as there's a little mini 336 mini episode up there that's about eight or nine minutes long, which is me having a little conversation with Cedric Mullins, a Oriole prospect who played for the Bowie Bay Sox last week, last year. So you should check that out this week. That's good. So he's, he's a reasonable chance to be at the major league level, I would think, this next year. Uh, I I think he'll be triple A this year and probably the following year. Maybe uh, you know what? He's a good he's a good bet for a September call up. Okay, be my so he'll be twenty three. If you're not if you don't make the major leagues at twenty three, you're kind of behind schedule. So if he doesn't make it in September, I would think it wouldn't be that great. But you know what? If they trade Manny Machado, they might as well bring him up. <laughs> when is Adam Jones is under contract for this year? At the end of this season, we could lose Manny Machado, Zach Britton. Adam Jones, Buck Showalter, Dan Duquette, and I'm sure there's other guys on there. Zach Britton, did I say him? I'm yeah, sure there's did. other guys on that list as well that I am uh, missing out as on this season. Okay, it's just a, while we're here, Zach Britton to the Cubs. I heard about the last couple of days. Is anything no, you heard no, anymore? Has no no moves have taken place yet. All right, so we are uh, still waiting and seeing. So the Orioles are out there. They're shopping. They're offering their guys, but they have very high standards to what they want in return i mean i think that's reasonable they've they've got they've developed this talent that is extraordinary and it seems just a darn shame to let it go but uh, like anything when you're making a deal in business if you have something the other guy wants it you think it's worth more than he does let's just say when negotiation with the white Sox started peter angelos apparently put the white Sox in a position where they would have to promise that they would not trade manny machado mid-season to the new york yankees Wow, that's a so, big one. <laughs> yeah, apparently Peter Angelos is very committed to making sure Manny does not play in New York in 2018. Wow, so, okay, it's, it's, it's a, a good weird, idea. It's a weird uh, thing, but it also might it might hurt the Orioles. It might be mean we don't have to see Manny in pinstripes for at least one more year. Yeah, well, it does actually reduce his value, doesn't it? It does. Redu- they, it reduces do his that. value, which is where it's mind-blowing to me and doesn't make sense to me. All right. Um, but either way, all right, Ken, well, we've got a full weekend of football coming up. Hopefully a nice sure uh, game against the Browns to make us feel good about the Ravens. Maybe even a little pyramid since it's the Browns. Maybe they, they'll mix him up in, in there, see what he can do. He could certainly be active in this game. So, all right, Ken, we will talk on uh, Monday.
Introducing the Lowe's List for Innovation. While our aisles are filled with innovative products, we've selected our favorites just for you. Like the exclusive Whirlpool washer with industry-first two-in-one removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load. And with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine, this product is a must-have for families. Shop the full Lowe's list of top picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. U.S. only. Winning comes in all shapes and sizes. Every day there's an opportunity for a win, just like scratchers from the Virginia Lottery. Everyday grab-and-go, everyday giftable, everyday fun. It's where anticipation meets instant gratification. And they're satisfying to scratch, no matter the outcome. Like the new Virginia Lottery Scratcher Colossal Cash. It's loaded with $100 to $500 prizes. Now, that's an everyday win. Drive to the nearest Virginia Lottery retail location and pick up a scratcher today. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 3.21. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.